So the purpose of this talk today is to uh, lead you into a constant, rich, satisfying, victorious, overflowing Christian life <coughs> that is produced in us by the blessed Holy Spirit within. You're interested? I'm going to sit down um, if I can. Where's my big drummer? Someone put that down for me. Zach, can you put that down? <clears throat> and I'm talking a little bit about growing in grace tonight where Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3.18, but growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. When does that finish? I was told this is an interaction thing. We can ask questions, huh? When does that finish? Who? I'm also deaf. You'll have to speak up. When, when, do, when, do, when do we stop growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour? Never. 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 But I want to tell you today, most of my talk is about some of the hindrances that we encounter in growing in, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. That'll do, mate. That'll, don't worry about it. That'll be all right. I was trying to be smart and sit on a stool because I've seen so many on television do that, but <laughs> it's not going to work because I know that I'll fall off the stool and all that stuff and <laughs> miss the point. <clears throat> Why are we to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord? As Second um, Peter 3.18 says, you've got to go to verse 17, the verse before, tells you why we need to do that. And that is, it says, Be on your guard so that you may, be, may not be carried away by the error of lawless people and fall from your secure position. It's no matter how mature we are in our faith, this world, this sinful world, will always challenge our faith. You know and I know we're in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation and it's easy for the world to squeeze us into its mould, right? You know we struggle from day to day about living the life that's pleasing to God and yet being in a crooked and a perverse generation and working with people and uh, in, a, in a system that is anti-God and the pressures that are put upon us as believers to grow as we really want to grow and to live as we really want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we can use the word Holy Spirit in a very glim sort of way. I hear a lot of people talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit but their lives seem to be contrary to that. doesn't seem to add up what I understand the Scriptures to be saying. It's impossible for the Holy Spirit to fill an unyielded vessel. It's impossible for the Holy Spirit to fill a dirty vessel, an unyielded vessel. And yet people claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but where's the evidence of that? I, I, I've been appalled and shocked lately of the language of believers when they're in a difficult situation. 
it, it seems to be contrary to what the scriptures say. And how can bitter water and sweet water come out of the same tap? So there needs to be something deep down in our heart that needs to be set right. And I believe that uh, we can live a life that's pleasing to God. All right? We can live a life that's pleasing to God. You can't live a life that's pleasing to me and I can't live a life that's pleasing to you and I thank God I'm going to be <laughs> answerable to God rather than you people because maybe I, if I was answerable to you, I wouldn't get into heaven. But, but God, it's our motives and our intentions that God sees and that we'll be judged by. And I believe our motives and our intentions can be pure before God. Amen? I believe that. And I want to show you, I want to make some other controversial statements and then some scriptural verses and then, uh, God willing, I want to close with my own personal testimony. Alrighty, now you may need to find some paper if you want to jot down some verses. I don't have any um, overheads for you tonight. Um, if I had have had another week or so, I might have had something for you, but you've got to listen to me or um, listen to the podcast. Are we ready? So we can never say as a believer that I have arrived and that there's nothing left to learn. We are continually being, as believers, conformed to the image of his son. You understand that? We are to be conformed, think of it, to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus that happens when we become believers. That's a that's a, a day by day walking in the light as He is in the light. That's that's growing in grace, being conformed to the image of His Son, and that will continue until we go to heaven. You with me so far? Now, as I said, I'll be sharing stuff with you that uh, I haven't heard before in this church. You may, I, I haven't attended every Sunday, but here we go. Every believer, every believer after conversion to Christ needs to come to a place of full surrender to him as a definite act of faith maintained daily. I suppose technically all that could happen at conversion. But experientially, it doesn't seem to happen because what happens at conversion, we're asking the Lord Jesus to forgive us of the sins that we have committed. So what about the sins that we'll commit after that? And I know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, our past, our present and our future. But I want us to think along another line tonight and that is in Romans chapter 1, 12 verse 1, that uh, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. It's holy, uh, H-O-L-Y, not W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's holy and pleasing to God. 
And then verse 2 says, Jesus transforms our life by the renewing of our mind. So when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus, we're allowing him, Lord, here is my life, take all there is of, I give it to you, totally. What he does in response to that is that he transforms our, by us by the renewing of our mind, it says, and, uh, and so that we don't have to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The Bible says, don't let the, or J.B. Phillips says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. And we struggle from that, with that, constantly, don't we? I'm not wanting to give you stuff tonight that's airy-fairy and pie in the sky. I want to give you what I believe the scriptures, the scriptures wouldn't tantalise us and say stuff for us to do if it couldn't be done. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit within that will enable us to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. All right. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, I'm reading some of these verses, giving these verses to you um, in, my, in my readings of recent times. It is God's will that you and I should be sanctified. Now, that's a, that's a scary word. Sanctified, petrified, glorified, you know. And so who can tell me what the word sanctified means? Talk to me. What, what does the word sanctified mean? Be made holy. Huh? Be made holy. Be made holy, okay. That, that's true. Anyone else? That's God's will. God's will that we be made holy. Just on that point, Helen, there are over 500 verses in Scripture or derivatives of that word holy that, that speak about the fact that we are to be holy. Jesus says, be holy. For I am holy. Well, what on earth is being holy? What does it look like? Is it someone goes around the monastery with their arms up their sleeve and, you know, looking like a... I won't say it, but it's... A, <clears throat> no, that's not, that's, not, that's not it. We are... He's invited us and told us that we are to be holy. It's God's will that we be sanctified. Let me give you a couple of other thoughts on sanctified... I think it means two things. To be holy is right, Helen. But it means to be cleansed and purified or set apart for God. That's what it means to be sanctified. In other words, I'm going to sanctify Paul. I'm going to take that. Oh, I'll take your, <laughs> take your mobile. I'm going to sanctify that. I'm going to set that apart just for God's use. All right? That's setting apart. The other meaning is for our hearts to be cleansed and purify. Who does that work? Jesus does. He died on the cross. He shed his blood that our hearts may be cleansed and purified. We're sanctified in that sense. And in a sense, we're sanctified once you, we are born again of the Spirit of God. There's a sense in which we're sanctified then, and then we continue the growing grace. But I want to give you another definition or what I believe the Scripture is saying about being sanctified. That was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
where it says, avoid every kind of evil. And then in verse 23, it goes on and says, and may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Uh, what's through and through? It goes on and talks about um, that a whole soul, body, mind will be sanctified through and through, entirely, complete. Sanctified completely, totally. Be, so that your whole spirit, soul, well, this is why, so that our whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, it talks about that uh, he doesn't present us faultless but blameless. None of us can be faultless. We all will fall short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. We all have faulty judgment. He's not talking about us presenting us faultless. He's talking about presenting us blameless in our love toward God because my heart is now completely his. And I live daily to please him. My motives and my intentions are pure before God and his perfect love permeates my heart and life so that I can love other believers. I can love other people in the world. His love, you know, we talk about perfect love. A lot of the old hymns were written about, uh, from the Wesley's days about this perfect love. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about being made perfect in love, perfect in our, in our motives and intentions toward God. That's possible for us to have personally today, tonight, to have perfect love toward God because he has my all, body, soul and spirit. What else do these scriptures mean if it doesn't mean that? That's what I'm trying to grapple with. Now, and then it goes on and says in that verse, the one who calls you to be sanctified through and through, he is faithful and he also will do it. Do what? Sanctify you, cleanse and purify body, soul and spirit completely. Are you with me? He is faithful and he who calls you to such a life will do it. By the way, I may as well mention it right here. The definition is a good definition of sin. I'm talking about sin as a willful, deliberate violation of the known law of God. That's what I'm talking about, a definition of sin here. I'm not talking about faulty judgment. I'm not talking about missing the, missing the mark. I'm talking about a deliberate, willful act as sin. We can also sin by being caught in an unguarded manner, caught off guard. We can still sin there. But hear me out. And I believe that uh, sanctified through and through is received by faith. Sometimes we use the word as, as conversion is a crisis. This could be a second work of grace, if you like. You may disagree with that, and that's fine. You don't have to agree with my terminology or the terminology I use. But it's like, a, a, I'm not talking about even a second blessing because you can have many blessings. And sometimes our denomination has been 
criticised for that term. It's not a good term to use. I'm talking about a second work of grace where I present my body as a living sacrifice. That comes as an act of the will. I would call that a crisis in my life where it's instantaneously done when I present and Christ comes and cleanses and purifies my heart and that I can have the witness of the Holy Spirit that that work is done. Amen? Now, the amens may get lower and lower as I go on, but <laughs> hear me out, hear me out. You see, we're all born with an evil inheritance or an inherited sinful nature. Um, and it can't be clearly defined. It's not something that we acquire like a bad habit, but something that is in us like a heart with a defective vow. Or we've been born with a, a sort of like a twisted frame. Or there's a bent toward evil. As Psalm 51.5 says, David says, in sin did my mother conceive me? Well, his parents didn't sin by having David, but he was born with that tendency and with that evil nature, inherent nature. Are you with me? He's born with that. So what, what does that actually mean? Well, there are other terms in the Bible that refer to this sinful nature. In Romans 6, it's called the old man or the flesh or the body of sin, or sometimes it's just called the sin. No surgeon has ever seen this inherent nature within us. It's rather a condition of the heart. Uh, it's mysterious, <coughs> this sinful nature. It's like gravity. Has anyone seen gravity? No, but we've seen the effects of it, haven't we, when we fall, and we see the effects of a sinful nature since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And that has been passed on through generations. And in a sense, you had no say about that. I think of these little, little kids who wear these singlets with the words, I'm a little angel. And you know, after a little while, they'll start crying and, and, and fighting and all that stuff. Something, nothing like a little angel at all. It's that inbuilt sinful nature. Where did they learn that from? Well, not just from their parents, <laughs> the way they react, but it's inbuilt into us. The cries of hunger, cries of pain, uh, even when they get a bit older, cries of selfishness, wanting to get your own way, that stubborn will. It's a result of this nature within that we've been born with. That needs to be dealt with. It's from that sinful nature that acts of sin come from. Produce. Our sinful nature produces uh, acts of sin. Now, these traits are natural as we grow, but they are all a result of this evil inherent nature within. Fully grown people are no different. The inner feelings are the same and they often break out in quarrels, divorces, lawsuits, murders, wars and all other kind of evils. And the Bible talks a lot about this inward conflict between the flesh and the spirit. 
the flesh referring to the sinful nature and the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who we want to obey, but we find there's an intruder within that, 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 that keeps pulling me toward that bias to sin. And, and so, so many Christians are defeated. They, they are good one day and they're down the next week and up the other week and down the next week and, and there's no consistency in their Christian life, even though we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge. So I would suggest that this sinful nature is like an intruder within. We may not have been aware of that, but now we begin to realise what the Bible talks about, this sinful nature. And it's uh, from that inherent nature that acts of sin are committed. Listen to this statement. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. You with me? I'm not a sinner because I sin. But when I sin, however, I'm a sinner as a result. Now, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I sin because I'm a sinner. And so there's this war going on between the flesh and the spirit, between the, our inherent nature and the Holy Spirit. As I was reading in my... Uh, Devotions, uh, uh, must have been about a month ago now, I I was reading through Galatians and I came across this this verse that disturbed me. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature. Oh, that's a huge verse. What on earth does that mean? Does anyone know what it means? Those who are Christ have crucified the sinful nature. Why is it put in there? For us to, to discourage us, to tantalize us. There's no way in a fit that you and I could crucify our sinful nature. Christ has done that, but it does come in cooperation with what Christ has done and with my presenting my body as a living sacrifice. Are you with me? That's the only way that we can be cleansed in that sense from our sinful nature. Now, Paul says. Uh, this, my part, as I said, is to surrender and God's part is to cleanse and purify. What does he purify us from? Well, lust, pride, jealousy, anger, pride and passion, sins that spring from that nature. Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I am, I am crucified with Christ. It's nevertheless I live, but now it's Christ who lives in me and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he experienced that reality. So if he experienced that reality in the light of what the Scriptures say, you and I can too. Romans 6.12, it says, Do not let sin or that sinful nature reign, reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become now slaves to righteousness. Neil talked a little bit about that in his sermon this morning. God, our righteousness. And then verse 11 goes on and says, count yourself, yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, accept that it's true what God has done. So we're no longer obligated to carry out those old motives and desires. We are no longer obligated. We don't have to carry out those old desires that drag us down. 
The Holy Spirit will help us to become what Christ has declared us to become. Look at Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The potential to do so is there, let me tell you. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that we do not do what we want. There's a conflict between the flesh, that's our sinful nature, and the Holy Spirit. Who do we obey? And there's a, there's a war going on within. There's a conflict within that the Scriptures talk about. Verse 25, 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, as I said, many Christians struggle with this conflict with the flesh and the spirit. Hebrews tells us, throw off everything that hinders, everything that weighs you down, everything that defeats you, throw it off. And then he goes on and says, not only throw off everything that hinders and weighs you down, but that sin, it's a particular sin that needs to be dealt with. Put it off, throw it off, surrender it, acknowledge it, confess it, deal with it, crucify it, don't let it reign in your life. Apart from that, I don't see a problem with it. Let the blood of Jesus wash you white as snow. Hallelujah. Oh, I'd love to belt that. But being sanctified, I can't. <laughs> Righteous indignation, no. But the blood of Jesus Christ has died, has already provisioned for us that our hearts can be made whiter than snow, that sin nature can be dealt with. Not that we never sin anymore, but that we don't have to deliberately, willfully, premeditatedly sin. Now it goes on. Uh, the, well, the envy and the jealousy and the malice and the pride, the resentment, the procrastination, the fear of man, the critical spirit can be dealt with and we can be set free and delivered from. I was interested watching uh, or listening to David Jeremiah, one of my favourite preachers, and the interviewer said, what, what do you, what do you um, understand as resentment? And he said, resentment really is anger that's gone underground. That's heavy, huh? That's worth coming tonight just to hear that statement from him. Resentment is anger that's gone underground that hasn't been dealt with and we've put it under the carpet. And he said, what's uh, procrastination? Procrastination is when God tells you to do something and you don't do it immediately and you eventually get round to doing it, but the time between what God tells you to do and when you do it, that time delay in the middle belongs to the devil. The filling of the Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome. Oh, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit, when we're clean before God, when we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, the Holy Spirit has come and washed us and cleans us out and we're filled with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then gives us the power to live day by day. 
And the Holy Spirit really has not come to draw attention to himself, but to lift up the Lord Jesus. If you struggle with your thought life and your language and your attitude toward others, it affects your walk with God. I'm not saying that you that these people are not Christians, but they struggle in their Christian walk and they do not have the power to say no to temptation. They do not have the power to resist the devil. But I want to tell you that there is hope tonight. There is victory. There is a way through. Oh, I love that song, My Sin Not In Part But The Whole. It's nailed to his cross and I don't bear it anymore. <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord, I my soul. The sinful nature must be cleansed. This is known in Scripture as sanctified through and through or entirely. It doesn't mean that I can't sin, but the power of the Holy Spirit helps me not to. At conversion, we are forgiven of our past sins. The sinful nature which produces acts of sin must be cleansed as well. And then I read in 1 John chapter 2. John says, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. <laughs> Get a load of that verse. Put that in your smoke and pipe it. <laughs> no, I know the other way. Don't I? I write these things to you that you don't sin. However, if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who will forgive us. So in that context, he's not saying, I write these things to you that you sin not, but if you do, he's not talking about willful, habitual, habit, and uh, premeditated sin. He's talking, if we get caught in an unguided manner, there's something, I can tell you what happens, there can be something that can die within us when we know that we let out a word that we shouldn't have. Oh, I love that song. I want a principle within a jealous, godly fear and a pain to feel it near. Help me the first approach of pride or wrong desire that drives me to the blood again and makes the wounded whole. I can tell you, friends, I've been there. I've seen it happen in my own life. When we say something, when we do something, when we watch something we know that's not right, there's something within us that pricks our conscience. And if it's not dealt with, there's something that dies within us and we've got to get back to that place of yielding. The life I live in the spirit daily is called holiness. You've heard a lot about that word holiness. Uh, it's, this is a ridiculous illustration, but once we come to conversion in Christ, there's a line. Then there's growth. And then we come to that point when we realise we have not yielded everything. We thought we had, but we realise that there's an intruder and there's something deeper in my heart that needs to be dealt with. And the filling of the Holy Spirit when we yield and in the growth we life that we live after that is the life of holiness and continually to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. So let me just quickly go on to the Holy Spirit with our handicaps. Oswald Sanders in his book, The Problems of Christian Discipleship, says, Romans 5 talks about deliverance from the penalty of sin. Romans 6 
presents sin as a tyrant from whose power the cross of Christ brings deliverance. Deliverance from the power of sin. In five, we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. And then in six, we're delivered from the power of sin. Chapter seven vividly depicts the civil war in the believer's heart, culminating in his cry for deliverance. And it says, I don't want to do this, but I do. Sin is always present with me. There's a fight, there's a war going on. I want to do good, but whenever I want to do good, I find that I can't do it. I'm powerless to deal with it. And then chapter 8, there's no condemnation or disability to those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, as Christians, we're not to limp around in our faith. The Holy Spirit within delivers us from the dominion and the power and the penalty of sin. For example, you only got to go to chapter 7 of Romans. It's filled with the central or the capital I, 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 I. 30 times, more than 30 times in chapter 7, it's I. And only once is the Holy Spirit mentioned. You go to chapter 8 and it's the Holy Spirit who was prominent and the capital I is only mentioned twice and even then in a positive sense. So the Holy Spirit can help our weaknesses and our disabilities and our handicaps when we yield completely to Christ. The secret is the deliverance from the dominion of sin and that will be ours when self is on the throne, off the throne and the Holy Spirit is honoured and obeyed. The Holy Spirit is the satisfying answer for us to have victory daily. Now, in a sense, we're converted. The Holy Spirit does come into our life. His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. We may have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of us? May be a question you need to ask. And that only comes when we yield completely to the Lord. And you can be filled with God's Holy Spirit tonight if you're willing to yield to him completely. You realise that there's an intruder in your heart. You realise that there's a war going on. There's a conflict within. I struggle with that temptation. I struggle with that and, and giving into that temptation. I struggle with that foul language. I struggle with this and with that. And there's another verse in there that I hesitate to use tonight because it's going to convict me. There should not even be a hint <laughs> in our language. Look, I know I'm letting myself go out on a limb, brothers and sisters. I just sense within my heart a move across churches around the world. There's been a lax, a lax in our walk with God and the things that we allow in our heart that shouldn't be there. And we need to know how to deal with that. Otherwise, we just fall into the common old trend and everyone loves God and does what he pleases. This is not our message in this church. Let me just tell you quickly before I wind up here this morning, uh, well, it might be this morning when I finish, but anyway. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the satisfying answer for us to have victory daily. Let me give you several ways that the Holy Spirit happens. Our bias towards sin. 
needs no longer disable us or defeat us or dominate us. The Holy Spirit reveals to us our need for a deeper work. The Holy Spirit enables us to produce the fruit of the Spirit and other Christian graces like getting on with others and how to learn to disagree agreeably. When the Holy Spirit has control of every area of our life, he deals with all these unholy desires and longings and our thought life and our speech and our ambitions and nasty backbiting and tit for tat is gone. We don't have to put up with that daily. There is deliverance for that. Don't accept that as the norm and everyone else is doing it and every other church is doing it. Jesus died on the cross that we might be set free and these things don't have dominion over us. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm only quoting the scripture. If you've got any complaint, talk to the Lord about it. trying to discipline myself not to say some things right now. <laughs> you talk about the Holy Spirit quickening our hearts and prompting our and biting our tongue and, and I'm endeavouring to do that by God's grace. So it's up to us whether we set our minds on the things of the flesh or on the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what is right. The Holy Spirit becomes the permanent caretaker of our heart there is no disability of the heart when the Holy Spirit is in control the Holy Spirit is in control when he's in control gives us victory over a hostile will that enables us to want to do his will it gives us victory over an independent spirit the characteristics of the son of God is that they are led by the spirit of God independence of spirit is a mark of immaturity Submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit is a sign of mature Christian character. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us victory over fear. It's the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of faith. The Holy Spirit gives us victory over a prayerless heart and so we can go on. So let me ask you a question. Is the Holy Spirit resident in your life or is the Holy Spirit president? Is he in total control? Is he just there? Residents living? Or is he president of all, controller of all? I remember one old great preacher, Walter Betts. He often had a saying between Easter and Pentecost. He said there are too many Christians who are stuck between Easter, that's when uh, Christ died on the cross, and then Pentecost. People have not gone on to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit and the dealing with the inward war within. So whatever your struggle may be in your daily walk, it can uh, be set off by the indwelling Holy Spirit allowed to operate. So uh, let me share with you this song that I wrote down, Oh for a Heart to Praise My God. Some of you old methos would have sung this one. Got old Charlie Wesley. In fact, all the Wesleys, Charles in particular, have had more of their hymns mutilated by other people who didn't believe in the doctrine than any other. (laughs) I've got to do this um, 
song leading a, a tambourine in November with about 350 to 400 people going to register there as we sing these great songs and Jim and Grace Vine of the pianist and the organist. But a lot of the, when we're trying to work out, I've got to go tomorrow at south of Brisbane to work out all these songs, but when we look at one book, it's got verses that we believe in and you look at another hymn book, they've changed the words because, like, take away our bent to sinning, Alpha and Omega B. Love divine or love's excellent. You look at another book and they've translated or made it into another word. So there's this conflict even between denominations and beliefs. I love the statement, you know, you go to Belgrave Heights Convention, you go to the Kazakh Convention that has this slogan, all one in Christ Jesus. And I thought to myself, yeah, as long as you agree with us, we are. This is on podcast, isn't it? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, that's just my own heart. But we've got to learn to know how to disagree agreeably with other people of different faiths and other denominations. There, there are some lovely, you know, we're in the, in the Wesley Methodist Church, we have our, our distinctive. You've got the Baptists who have their distinctive. You've got the Pentys who have got their distinctive. You've got the Presbyterians who have their distinctive and, and Brellos, uh, um, uh, Gospel Hall, whatever they call themselves now. They've all, you know, like uh, C1, C2, 316 and all that sort of modern language you've got for the different denomination there. We've all got our different distinctives. But I think deep down in our heart, we all desire to be totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit and living in obedience day by day. All righty. What about this one? Oh, for a heart that prays my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me, a heart resigned, submissive, meek, my great Redeemer's throne, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. Look about this one as I quoted this in the prayer this morning and Roger comes up to me after the service and said, brother, that was a hymn that I was filled with the Holy Spirit when that was sung. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I might love the things we love and do the things you do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until with thee I will one will to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, until this earthly part of me glows with your fire divine. What about this verse? Refining fire go through my heart, illuminate the whole. Scatter thy life through every part and sanctify the whole. Old hymns we used to sing. They don't have words quite like that today in their modern music. But I tell you, there's something, there's something there, there's a truth there, folks, that we need to enter into. I urge you tonight to think about this. Go home and think about it. Read the scriptures and say, God, this is something that I, I need to work through. I don't want to build, make it on emotion. I just want to know it, what your word says, and I, I want to do what your word says. I'm talking about a livable lifestyle. I work in a factory. I'm a chap at, at, at uh, uh, a factory that makes, uh, I want to, don't want to call, <laughs> use the name, uh, but there are leather people and I do chapmancy work there and I go in there and one group won't let me into their workshop unless I've got a joke for them. And the, and the joke they want me to say is, is a dirty joke and a filthy joke and I don't do that. But I try to think of something that's good and wholesome and pure and then they walk up and say, Ugh. And then they, when I walk in, they all yell at, 
hey, you got a joke for us? No. Well, they use their F word and all the other words and buzz off. But I bypass that and I go in anyway. And I love those dear people and I talk to them and things may turn around, the Christian things. Folks, we've got to be different in their world. Be in the world, but not of it. Listen, I've got a whole lot of other stuff, but let me just close with my own story. I attended the youth camp in Port Sorrell many, many years back. I think it might have been the early 60s. I met Vicky for the first time. And I said, she didn't know me and I didn't know her. And I walked up and said, how can anyone look like you and be a Christian? <laughs> Wasn't very sanctified. Um, and she ran off and cried her heart out and thought there was something wrong with her. But I, I thought, well, she was really good looking. And later she proposed to me and... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was at that camp, that youth camp, about 100 in attendance. And the speaker was Dr Jim Ridgway and the theme was of the higher way, the spirit-filled life, the sanctified life. And after halfway through the camp, a group of us, about 20 got out in the bush at Port Sorrell and we began to pray for the needs and the youth around uh, in our churches. And after a little while and praying with a group of 20 or so, the Holy Spirit convicted me in my heart because before that I was just sort of up and down. I was a youth leader and I knew that I wasn't where God wanted me to be and I was deeply convicted. I was a mess. And I left them praying and I went straight for the, the leader's, um, Dr Jim's unit and he invited me in and he said, what do you want? What, what can I do for you? I said, I want the Lord Jesus to wash my heart whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want you forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe, now wash me, and I shall be white and snow. I knelt down, I prayed that prayer, and I rose, and I had the witness of the Holy Spirit that he did, Jesus did cleanse my and purify my heart, and he filled me with his Holy Spirit. The evidence of that came about the next day at one of the meetings, and about halfway through I was asked to sing, and I don't have a great voice, so I played the guitar and sang. And then, as I was singing, people were coming forward to the altar. I thought, what's going on here? That's not right. They haven't been invited to come to the altar. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of the blue, come up. And I thought later, I said, Lord, what's going on here? And then it realised, then I realised... The difference was that my heart was now clean and pure before God. The power of God's spirit was within me. Pride had gone. Envy had gone. Jealousy had gone. Seeking affirmation had gone. And now it was none of self but all of you. And he gets the glory and the praise.
Listen, we are instantly made pure, but we are not instantly made mature. I had the witness of the God's Holy Spirit that he answered my prayer. I don't know where you are tonight, but whether their God is speaking to your heart and say, hey, I long for something like that, but how am I ever going to cope because I've got to go back to school, I've got to go back to the work? How am I going to tell them that I'm different? I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to do that stuff. The power of the Holy Spirit working within will enable you to do the things that you and your own strength wouldn't have a hope of doing. That's all I'm telling you today, folks. That's the message I believe that our world needs to hear. That's the message I believe that Christians need to hear today. So about four years ago, I thought I was finished in ministry. I, I sent half of my library to the Solomons. I had a contract on a unit at Brabant Avenue at Marichador with an exclusive sunroof. But God had other ideas and I'm here today as a result of God's intervention in my life. Knowing that he's not finished with me yet. That's my heart. And we, we need one another to encourage one another. so easy for us as believers to live like the world. Be good on the Sunday, but live for the devil the rest of the week. That's not on. I believe the Lord Jesus can enable us to live a day-by-day walk with him, walking in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, goes on cleansing, purifying. Amen? Oh, I struggled with this tonight. I know it's not a cafe-type message. I told you <laughs> this morning that you've probably never heard anything like this before. I know. But I believe it's biblically true. I believe it's at the heart of our message in the Wesleyan Church. The difficulty is living it. So easy for us to hide behind the message. So easy to hide behind the name. I know there are other people in other denominations who don't necessarily agree totally what I've talked about tonight, but their life is a whole lot higher than their theology. They live the life. Our problem <laughs> is that we other the way. Some people say, oh, you're too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I say, whoopee, the opposite is the truth. We're too earthly minded that we know heavenly good. So let's not just settle for mediocrity to rise above. Amen? Amen? So Heavenly Father, I pray for these dear people tonight. We just uh, share my heart, which I know that the scriptures talk about that we can experience and live even in this 21st century. We don't have to water it down. Your word says, Lord, you even prayed to your Father that they are clean through the word. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. 